Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. Eventually, if you don't bring new tools to your tech stack, you're going to have to reinvent the wheel over and over again. So that's going to slow, slow you down. And if you have too many tools platform, as a platform engineering team, already mentioned, we simply don't have, we simply cannot scale ourselves as quickly as how the technology is evolving over time. Women Who Code Talks Tech is a segment that features experts in a specific field of technology sharing their knowledge on an in-depth and highly technical subject. We'd like to welcome our amazing speaker, Lulu, uh, who's going to be talking about a really interesting topic called Scaling Federated Tech Stack, Managing Overly Diverse Technology. So Lulu is a software engineer at Block, and she has 10 years of experience working with data. She is an expert in large-scale data infrastructure and architecture. And when she's not working, she enjoys reading, nature, and music. Thank you, Lulu, so much for being here today. And I will now pass the session over to you. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Lulu. Uh, today, I want to talk about um, scaling uh, overly diverse technology. I want to explain the topic a little bit. So I think uh, a lot of people who work uh, in soft as a like software engineer have experience where we join a company and maybe we start with the company, start with a group of people who's very good with Java, for example, and then the company grew and then now we add uh, Python to the stack and then the company grew again. And now we add Scala, Kotlin, Ruby, Go, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to the stack. Now we have, let's say five or six or even seven, eight languages in our tech stack. Uh, in a way it's totally reasonable because uh, enable us as software engineer to work with what we're most familiar with. But over time, you will see, okay, there's still the most people who's using Java and Python. And the support with other all these other languages started to drop. Because when you are building, you're not just building with the tool itself, right? You need to integrate with other things. Like when you're building an application, it needs to have uh, testing framework, it needs to have CI/CD pipeline, uh, it needs to have vulnerability scan, it needs to have, you know, there might be internal credential management tool, you need client library for that. And um, there's only one platform team. We, we, we don't scale as the technology getting added uh, to the stack. We, we can only provide so much support. Uh, so that's what I'll be talking about today. Uh, we are in a world where we the technology is constantly changing we want to always add the newest and greatest tech, technology to our tech stack uh, but we also want to create a good enough support where we want to make sure our developers are comfortable are developing very secure very safe softwares uh, and for the businesses so yeah i want to talk a little bit more about um what are the some architectures or frameworks uh, we can use to make it easier to add new tech stack 
to add new technology to the tech stack or to consolidate technologies within the tech stack so that I believe everyone, if you are working, you have gone through you know, different migration projects. So then not, not every tech stack change has to be a migration. If, if there's a way for us to make it easier as platform engineers. Um, cool, so without further ado, um, I want to start by uh, giving you all uh, my background a little bit. Um, the reason is that a lot of the discussion I have is going to be a lot uh, tied to my own background. So I'll be talking a lot about you know, data and machine learning and uh, perhaps less about security or governance, et cetera, et cetera. It's not to say this will not work for, let's say, CICD pipeline or observability pipelines uh, or platforms. It's just to say, because my own background, I came from a very data intensive, machine learning intensive background. Uh, so a lot of discussion is going to be centered around that. Um, cool. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what's uh, platform engineering. Um, platform engineering is actually a newer term. <laughs> to my understanding, only in the past, I would say four or five years, I started hearing people referring themselves to as platform engineers. Um, in a way, it's not a new role. We we have always needed people running like ops or keep the platforms like, let's say your logging platform, your monitoring platform, your uh, data uh, pipeline platforms up and running. Like that hasn't changed. Uh, what's changed is what's the expertise required to run in these platforms. So going back to history a little bit, pre-cloud, we have on-prime or we just simply run like a machine in a storage room. And back then we have some, a, a role called system admin or database admin. Uh, they're not doing something so different from what we're doing there. Their job essentially is to keep the machine up and running, keep the platforms, whatever that's hosting, uh, the application that's running on those servers up and running. Um, so their role has uh, evolved after uh, cloud has been invented. So when cloud first being like when AWS started, uh, there is a, a, a term called DevOps uh, started to become more and more popular. So back then what DevOps do essentially is not so different except the machines are in a data, like a remote data center, they have no idea where they are. Uh, but DevOps is doing the same thing. They are trying to uh, bring up the EC2 instances. They are trying to uh, get the application onto the EC2 instance and start serving web traffic, for example. Um, so back in, earlier in the days, it's a lot of uh, manual steps. That's uh, nothing fancy. But fast forward a little bit, uh, we started to have uh, frameworks like Terraform. We can do infrastructure as code, uh, which automate a ton of what DevOps used to do. Uh, what this means is DevOps can now do much more scalable things. Uh, I think maybe eight to 10 years ago, there is a explosion of the open source uh, software that's available out there like Airflow, 
uh, started back then. Spar started back then. Uh, Kafka was also very popular back then. So uh, what happened is that these DevOps, I used to be a DevOps myself as well. These DevOps, I, we saw these so great tools. Or we, we want to offer to the developer within the company or the developers ask us to get it up and running. Uh, and we start to deploy all these tools onto, let's say, EC2 instances. And um, back then, uh, if my memory serves correctly, it actually still requires a lot of expertise in how Spark internal works. I used to work with Cassandra a lot. We had a lot of scaling issue. Uh, not every DevOps can be Spark, Cassandra, Kafka, Airflow expert. So I think the cloud vendor noticed this, AWS, GCP, they all noticed this. And the, the groups, the teams that create all these op great open source software, uh, they also noticed this. So fast forward today, uh, how does platform engineering become a, 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 a group or a, a formal role? Um, nowadays, it's actually very easy to find a vendor providing hosted, let's say hosted Kafka, uh, Confluent has hosted Kafka, Databricks has hosted uh, Spark. Uh, I forgot what's the company behind Cassandra, but there's also hosted Cassandra, hosted Elasticsearch, hosted Airflow. So you can see a lot of things that DevOps used to need to do, now they no longer need to do. So what, what are we doing with platform engineering? Um, we can focus a lot more on the integration with our internal company's business needs. For example, uh, I work in FinTech. FinTech is a heavily regulated industry. A lot of times our data is under a lot more scrutiny than some other industries, for example. So we need to make sure there's proper permissioning uh, processing. We need to make sure there's end-to-end -end encryption. We need to sure there's need to make sure between platform to platform that data sharing is up to certain standards. Uh, so as as a platform engineering, instead of worrying about how to keep all these platforms up and running, we now worry about how to integrate all these platforms to work with each other so that uh, product development teams. The engineers on these teams, as you know, developers, they don't need to worry that much about security. They don't need to worry that much about, okay, so how do I get data from Kafka to Spark? How do I get data from Kafka to uh, Snowflake? Uh, us as platform engineers, we are going to try to figure it out for them and provide the best pathway. So there, there is challenges in doing so. As you can see, we are creating integrations uh, between platforms. So anytime you add another platform, that's a challenge. That's it fit with what, uh, what we have existing, what other existing platform work. Uh, or what if we want the, let's say we have two streaming platforms. Uh, they all do slightly similar, but slightly different things. How do we keep both uh, evolving so that it can meet our, let's say, security or governance needs? Um, so there's a lot of challenges to it. And in general, um, I think about these challenges on two extremes. Uh, on one extreme, we can have um, so many different um, platform toolings being added to this 
stack. Let me give you one example. Uh, so streaming, streaming basically uh, application or any data source they're emitting events to a Kafka-ish or a, it doesn't have to be Kafka, it could be any queues or Kinesis or Kafka, basically these type of eventing uh, frameworks, they uh, carry the source data to another uh, another uh, destination. It could be a, a data lake, it could be just a storage uh, like S3 or a GCS. So uh, streaming platform is very generic. It does one thing, it carries data from uh, source A to destination B. Uh, but what are the challenges? There are different, different streaming technology, Kafka versus Kinesis. Kinesis only work with AWS. It might not work as, I'm actually not sure, but you might not, I'm just giving as an example, you might not work as good as well as with uh, Snowflakes, for example. Uh, or there might be uh, scaling uh, strategy that's different between how Kinesis works versus how Kafka works. And different team might say, oh, I we think Kinesis work with our stack better. And there might be teams says we want Kafka because it's open source, we understand it better. So you will see these uh, divergence of even though we're essentially doing a similar thing, but still because people's preferences and the technical needs, uh, we could end it up with many, many uh, different uh, uh, tech stacks or tooling, uh, good example. Uh, Databricks has their notebooks, uh, AWS has SageMaker, there's a lot of data scientists, maybe they also run uh, uh, their own uh, Jupyter notebook clusters, for example. So um, because the way things are working and because how, what their special needs, we could end it up with one simple functionality, we could end it up with multiple technologies in this deck. Um, or on the contrary, we might end up with too many. On the, on, on, in contrast, we could end up with too little, too little uh, technology in the stack. The platform engineering can say, no, we disapprove any new tech stack because the functionality already exists. We only allow Kafka in our ecosystem. Everything else, you have to figure out how you can use what we have. So there are two extremes. Uh, I will argue both extremes are not too well and as a platform engineer as a platform engineering team what we want to do is to create that pathway so that we make it easier to add tools to our existing tech stack or to consolidate or remove tools uh, from the tech stack without incurring uh, a ton of work uh, people might gone through you know multi-month that's actually a pretty great migration if it's only in month there are multi-year migrations as well. That's all. That all could be traced back to you know, as platform engineer, we didn't create a good enough architecture or framework for us to over time evolve our tech stack to add more tools or remove tools. So um, I want to uh, dive deeper uh, to kind of um, feel uh, kind of. Uh, uh, expand these two dimensions and uh, kind of show you exactly uh, when we have too many tools, what you will observe, or when we have too little tools, what you will observe. 
and uh, based on your current situation, you might think you could you might be able to take this as inspiration and think a little bit more about okay, how do we optimize our tech stack so that we can have a good enough um, development speed, uh, both for the product team, also for the platform engineering teams. Uh, so on one extreme, like mentioned, if we have too little tools, product team always have to find workaround, always have to build, you know, if, let's say we don't offer airflow in our text, in our text deck and the product team might have product, product engineering team, they might think, uh, but uh, the orchestration uh, is not a like, rocket science. It's not a new technology. They might build their own. So it might end up if we don't offer an open source tool that's already working pretty well in the industry to product team, they might build their own. It might actually slow them down. Um, on the contrary, if we give them uh, a lot of tools, we just say, okay, use whatever you want. Uh, going back to the language example uh, in the very beginning. Yeah, in the beginning, you could go extremely fast because everyone is working with the tool they think is the best they're most familiar with. But over time, uh, it's very hard to manage um, this many, like, let's say, let's not even go to like 10 or 15 languages, even managing five languages a lot. If you think about, let's say you need uh, to access credential, Usually different company, they have their own internal credential uh, systems. And uh, they need, if you have five languages, you need five different libraries, you need expert on these, on the credentials and on these languages. And uh, to create and maintain these five different languages, uh, libraries over time. Uh, so eventually it will become very, very slow because the platform team only have so many people. We cannot keep adding people. Uh, the tech stack is only going to expand, but platform cannot match that speed. So eventually we'll slow down or the support will be really, really poor, which ended up the product team will then suffer again because there is no right tool for uh, what they need to do. So on the two extremes, eventually it's going to slow you down. Uh, let's think about what happens to platform teams. So, okay, for platform teams, if there's only a couple uh, tools in the tech stack you need to maintain, yeah, you're going to be extremely, extremely fast. But because you, you don't have much to do, right? <laughs> you only have to maintain, let's say, you only have to have to maintain one version of Kafka. You don't need to worry about, you know, um, MSK. You don't need to worry about Kinesis, for example. You only focus on what you're most familiar with, what, what's available right now. So you're going to be very fast. You're going to be able to create, uh, provide a lot of support. But over time, that's going to slow us down because people, the the, pro, the software, the engineers, they want to bring new tool in the stack for a reason. There's new functionality, so we could save them time from rewriting those functionality. Uh, there might be new security feature, new governance feature, for example, et cetera, et cetera. So eventually, if you don't bring new tools to your tech stack, you're going to have to reinvent the wheel over and over again. So that's going to slow, slow you down. And if you have too many tools, platform as a platform engineering team already mentioned, we simply don't have, we simply cannot scale ourselves as quickly as how the technology is evolving over time. Uh, so it's going to be slow anyway. We, we we might have like five languages, but every language gets very, very little support. 
um, let's the let's focus on another which is very critical uh, in most cases uh, the security and governance uh, even though it might not be as close uh, to our day-to-day -day workflows but security and governance uh, on one of those things where we actually need experts uh, in the group to help us navigate what kind of what kind of encryption will give us enough confidence in terms of security so what kind of vulnerability scan or what's the frequency or what kind of uh, uh, exposure, for example, uh, will make us comfortable enough, what kind of isolation, for example. So security and governance are very, very important, even though they are often overlooked as a day-to-day -day life as a software engineer, because those are the things that will slow us down for a good reason. So why does that go into uh, all these? Because in order to have a high level of security and governance, you need consistencies. Uh, similar to you have to have different libraries for different languages, uh, different tech stack also require different kind of, uh, let's say vulnerability scan, different permission model, different kind of isolation model. How do we isolate data, uh, data set, uh, sorry, uh, platform one, pro from platform two, so that uh, it gives us enough isolation. We're sure like uh, the platform one is exposed, platform two is not affected. So when you have very little tools, you are able to reach that consistency very easily because you only have so many, you just need to make sure uh, we can apply similar standards on all these different tools, all these, uh, all our, these few tools. But when you have a lot of tools, that makes it hard uh, if you have to, create a software scan for 10 different language, that's a whole different story from creating for two or three languages. Uh, if you have to uh, develop a, a permission model, let's say we want integration from platform one, what gets permission to platform two? Let's say you wanna develop those models, the more platform you have, the more pathway you have to think about. So when you have a ton of tools, it's going to be very, very complicated because every tool could potentially interact with each other and you have to think about those scenarios. So uh, even though that's not a day-to-day -day concern, but that's extremely important, especially with platform teams, when we're evaluating tech stack, uh, we wanna see, can we, it's perhaps one of the most important topic is to make sure it's up to the standard because if not us, Nobody will pay as much attention to all these different tools if we can keep them safe and secure for our developers, for our businesses. Um, cool. So now that we see these different dimensions and how they uh, how they are reflected in the real world scenario, um, let's talk about uh, how do we build for to reach that balances, to have just the right number of tools uh, in our tech stack where it's fast enough, maybe it's, it, it's not the fastest, but it's fast enough for the product teams. It's not also not the slowest, but it's good enough for the platform team to support. And uh, maybe we have to cut corners here and there uh, on the integration, on the security, 
but it's acceptable. We are, you know, maybe we add a few more tools, but it's in the sandbox area or it's not able to handle very sensitive information. Uh, we can still experiment with it, but it's not going to uh, expose us to uh, a larger risk where what if it's uh, uh, not maintained or what's malfunction and uh, we ended up exposed a lot of data, for example. So to think about uh, how you can architect your platforms in such a way uh, because you want to reach the balances, that means you want to be able to add tools or remove tools or consolidate tools in a relatively easier way instead of uh, month long or year long migrations. Uh, so the way, uh, this is absolutely not a golden rule. This is just a pattern. I've worked uh, on platform different platform engineering things over the year, a pattern uh, I've uh, experimenting over and over and started to see that, um, yes, if we provide the right level of abstraction on our platforms, we could actually build uh, with product teams, for example, or other external teams together in such a way that it's still somewhat consistent on different levels, uh, but allowing them just experimenting on the right layer where they need to add different features. Uh, let me go into that a little bit to try to explain what I mean. So um, let's take uh, Kafka, for example, in order to run Kafka, you need some basic compute uh, resources, right? So that's the lowest lowest layer. That's the infrastructure deployment. Uh, these are often uh, written in Terraform, for example. Um, this lowest layer, it's just for you know compute provisioning, maybe some basic uh, networking, IAM management, for example, just to get you started. Uh, on top of that. Uh, it's not just the you know basic compute. Maybe the you set it up in a way where now your Kafka is running on a few EC2 instances, running within its private network, which is good enough. But you need to be able to allow your cluster to interact with other systems. So you need to integrate with uh, the company's networking. There might be other security configuration. Not maybe your base layer. You're only saying okay. Only the uh, machine role, the CI/CD role, they are able to scale up or scale down uh, the instances, for example. But um, talking to different uh, platforms, then you need additional IAM to say, okay, specifically this Kafka cluster can talk to XYZ under certain conditions, for example. So you need extra, let's say, IAM configuration. There are other security configuration to make sure you know your uh, uh, Kafka cluster can actually talk to other things within your company. So uh, on top of that, there's another abstraction layer. Most of the product teams, um, I don't know what's the exact percentage, but I would say me as a product team or me as working with other product teams, they probably don't worry as much about what instance is running Kafka, what are the networking, what are the security. Uh, feature they need to comply. All they care about is can their application publish to this Kafka cluster, for example. 
So a lot of times you will say, okay, if your application is running in uh, this, let's say Kubernetes cluster, and uh, it's the data it's emitting, it's not something sensitive, uh, we're going to allow you to, you know, just tell us which topic you need to access to, uh, which, how much scale do you need, what's the latency, what's the volume, et cetera, and we will provision you one. So there's another layer, which is a pretty thin layer where, uh, product team, they just need to provide a couple parameter and they have their resources uh, up and running and they can start using it. They don't need to know everything about how Kafka works. They just want to get their data from their application to somewhere else. Uh, so that's another layer. And on top of it, uh, there's uh, automation and integration. If you think about it, it's not as easy, right? <laughs> your data is not going to magically show up on S3 just because you publish your data to Kafka, for example. Uh, as a platform team, we're often building all these integration with different technologies. So let's say you publish to Kafka and you want it to show up in Snowflake, we need to build some sort of automation integration in it. So that's another layer on top of it, like most people probably won't even notice, but uh, it's important uh, to have those there so that you're, you're your tool can connect with all your tool and it's actually useful. And uh, why, why is it important to abstract uh, your uh, platform architecture in this way? Because oftentimes if you see uh, when people want to bring in new features or when, when people want to uh, consolidate some existing configuration, uh, one pattern is it can often be divided into one of these four layers. Let's say the user wants to add another configuration option. You don't need to redo the entire, you don't need to bring up a new stack. You don't need to create a new Kafka cluster. You simply need to modify the user configuration layer. Let's say you want to bring a new tool uh, to your existing ecosystem. You don't need to redo the whole button three layer. You just need to rethink uh, how you're going to adapt to the automation integration with that new system and if it's possible. Um, another good example, I think this is perhaps the most important one is uh, oftentimes um, the feature request is not going to come from platform engineering teams often asked by the product team hey, we want low, even lower throughput, we want to enable this to be integrated with something else. And they might sometimes need to touch these button two layers. And by being able to separate these layers out from the uh, upper layer, you allow them to contribute to your existing setup in a way where they still have to confine to the uh, existing rule. They're not going to change, create a new network just because they want to uh, slightly change the deployment of the Kafka cluster. They're still going to use the existing networking rules, but they might be able to change you know, the underlying parameter of your infrastructure layer, for example. What that means is um, they no longer need to be networking expert. They no longer need to bring up new stack. They just, they have a way to contribute to your existing stack and modify it a little bit and uh, uh, still see it uh, getting propagate all the way to the top layer so they can enjoy that feature. Uh, this is this works very well often 
uh, one platform engineering is a little under resource and that they don't have, they are not a domain expert in every single uh, uh, use case out there, possibly let's say for machine learning, for example. And uh, by providing all these abstract layer already, you allow the partnering teams to be able to contribute in a way they cannot deviate too much from your existing policy. Almost like you are uh, right, you are deploying your platform in a way how your software is written, how your normal application software is written, where you have tests and you have patterns. And in order to contribute, you are not going to break your existing pattern. You are going to modify what's there. Um, yeah, I think uh, that's uh, most of what I wanted to talk about. I hope uh, it's interesting and fun. And uh, I hope this uh, shares, obviously this is not going to solve all of your problems, but I do hope like this brings uh, gives you some idea. If you look at your platform engineering or if you're from uh, product teams, you're thinking why is our, why can we add a new tool? Why can why is our uh, development cycle so slow? Why is our tool uh, so poorly maintained? I hope this gives you a uh, some inspiration how you might be able to configure your deployment or your platform in a way such that you don't always have to migrate. You don't always have to kill a stack. You can gradually involve your tech stack in a way such that it's it's uh, actually uh, easy and uh, fast to add things to your existing uh, platforms. Um, great. Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission, and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash womenwhocode. Thanks again for listening. And remember, to subscribe, rate, and comment.